0: Hey, guys. Thanks for downloading this bonus episode of the Obsessive Viewer podcast featuring uh, my good friend Pat Kuhn from the Nerds You're Looking For uh, podcast. We'll be back later this week, a little bit later than usual this week, uh, for our our review episode of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. In the meantime, while you wait for that, uh, check out Pat and Tyler at the Nerds You're Looking For podcast. They just released a really good review of Batman v Superman on their feed. And uh, enjoy this episode about uh, Daredevil Season 2. Thank you. This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter with a bonus episode of ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, we're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at com, and find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com and you can also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. If you want to help support the podcast, go to com slash obsessiveviewer or if you or you can simply leave us a rating and review on iTunes, it helps us out a ton. Um, and this episode is a bonus episode, as I said before. Um with Pat from the Nerds You're Looking For podcast. How's it going, buddy? It's going really well. I'm happy to be back on. Nice. Yeah, you were the first person I thought of when thinking about Daredevil uh, Season 2, which is what we're reviewing this week, so... Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm kind of getting
1: typecast a little bit cuz the last time I was on we we talked about Ant-Man, and now we're talking about Daredevil.
0: That's true. I mean, I yeah. do know more than just comic books. <laughs> you do know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm aware, but, you know. <laughs> I'm your token comic book friend. I am. I you you basically are. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um,
0: <laughs> but before we get started on talking about Daredevil and everything, just uh I kind of want to Give listeners who may not know your voice from your podcast or past episodes of this podcast um, an introduction to you and the nerds you're looking for. So uh, do you mind just giving a rundown of what the nerds you're looking for is and, uh, and like some recent episodes that you guys did?
1: For sure. Uh, we actually just did uh, a Daredevil episode as well, season two. We reviewed it on our podcast, The Nerd You're Looking For, which is a weekly nerd culture podcast that discusses the culture through various segments. Um, I have a co-host, Tyler Hunt, uh, who joins me every week, and we just break down everything in nerd culture. Uh, we, we start off each episode by sh- kind of just checking in with each other. It's a good kind of a warm-up segment. We call it What We're Into. It's basically kind of – for your listeners, it's kind of our potpourri. Uh, right. we just kind of, uh, pick a, a thing or two, and we just kind of check in with each other. We don't get to kind of have those nerdy conversations as much as we used to be able to. Now that we're both married and both have big boy jobs and, and whatnot, we don't get to check in with each other as much as we'd like. So that was kind of our excuse uh, to to just kind of have those nerdy conversations again. Uh, we also talk about comic books. Uh, Tyler and I read a ton of comic books each week, and we like to to spotlight a couple of them each episode uh, and then Tyler kind of compiles all the the latest nerd news and we talk about all that and he kind of just presents them to me and then we just have a conversation about them and then we move on to our main topic which changes from episode to episode uh, like I said the last episode that we did was our Daredevil season two review Tyler and I both binged it in like 30 hours it was ridiculous <laughs> I actually ended up getting up at like 2 a.m. because it was at least 2 a.m. our time we're on central mm-hmm. time and watched the first couple episodes but then I had to take a power nap before work Jeez. and so uh yeah so within like 30 hours we not only watched the whole season but then we reviewed it so um, it was it was kind of a trip but it was it was definitely a fun episode we have a lot of stuff planned for the next couple of weeks. We actually will be, will be reviewing Batman v Superman, which I will be seeing tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday. I'll, I'll be seeing it tomorrow um, at uh, 6.30, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Nice. So far, the reviews have not been great. But uh, I know a lot of the fan reactions have been great, mm-hmm. and Tyler and I are both big comic book fans, so I think we'll appreciate it more than uh, normal critics will. But I kind of have my reservations about whether or not I think that movie is going to be good or not. But I guess we'll find out tomorrow, and you guys can definitely check out how Tyler and I both feel. Uh, we re- release uh, episodes
0: every Monday, so uh, nice. definitely check that out this coming Monday. Sweet. Well, uh, thanks for coming on and everything. And, uh, for sure. also you can find Pat's podcast at the dot com, as well as, um, the reviews that you wrote and everything, uh, on there. Um, for sure. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Batman v Superman on Saturday and I'm, I don't know, like, like you said, the, the critic reviews haven't been, haven't been kind to it so far from what I've seen, but I don't know. We'll see. It It'll be interesting either way. And also on on the Nerds podcast, you guys are doing a Rotten Tomatoes thing. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Because it's pretty interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and and some
1: of the the nerdier podcasts and like the the TV and film based podcasts have a lot of they play games and whatnot. And I know mm-hmm. you guys have your game where you all kind of make up movies just based on genre and stuff like that. Right. And so. I kind of started brainstorming and I wanted to think of a game or kind of like a bet that Tyler and I could have. And we're very opinionated, obviously. And we think that we know more than everybody else. And we think that we know more than each other. And we argue a lot on the podcast, which obviously (laughs) makes it kind of fun. So I wanted something that we could bet like, Hey, I know this better than you. And I know a lot of podcasts and, and, and movie sites and whatnot have those box office challenges. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do that because yeah, you can kind of, you can kind of use some research and whatnot to, to kind of do well on those types of challenges. But for me, it's kind of a guessing game. And plus it's, I mean, if you if you had Star Wars last year, you were going to win your pool. So right. it's just like if you have those big franchises, then it, it it makes it kind of easier. So I wanted something that I thought took a little bit more skill. And Tyler and I uh, bring up Rotten Tomatoes sometimes on the on the podcast, and so I thought there would be it would be fun to kind of uh, m- do something with uh, with Rotten Tomatoes. And Tyler and I kind of pride ourselves on being able to pick out. What we think is going to be good and, and leading up, we talk a lot about trailers and whatnot on the podcast. So I thought it would be kind of fun to kind of draft some some nerdy films. Obviously, um, there's some Oscar bait films that will come out later this year that would be pretty easy to kind of predict, oh, that's going to do really well. We wanted movies that our listeners would enjoy. So yes. we picked a lot of nerdy films and we just went back and forth one episode and we drafted the films and talked about – how we think they're gonna do, and we're going to at the end of the year, there's a bet we don't we haven't decided what we're gonna do, what we're gonna make the other person do, <laughs> but I think it's gonna have something to do with indie pop con maybe dressing up my idea originally was whoever lose, lost had to uh dress as slave Leia. at the next Indie PopCon, but I'm pretty sure Tyler would puss out about that, so uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, we just, we each have seven films, and it's over the course of the year, obviously, I think Tyler's, one of Tyler's films is uh, Rogue One, which won't come out until December, so we won't know for a while who wins, but it's just, we picked uh, 14 films, and each of us obviously have seven of those films, and whoever has the best percentage at the end of the year wins. And so far, so, so good for me. I've gotten, I've had uh, Kung Fu Panda 3, Deadpool, and 10 Cloverfield Lane, which are both in the in the 80s, and I know Cloverfield Lane was 89%. So nice. I've had three 80%s in a row, so I'm feeling pretty good. I do have a couple of stinkers on the way with TMNT, Out of the Shadows, and Suicide Squad. But Tyler's first movie was, like I said, Batman v. Superman, which hasn't uh, done great with the critics. So we'll see. Right. He's not off to a good start so far. Last time I checked, it was uh, 37%.
2: So... uh <laughs> He's, he's starting off kind of rough.
1: Yeah. Holy crap. So far, yeah. Wow. The rule is, though, we take it from a week from when it was released. So he has until a week. Okay. So hopefully some some good reviews come out for him. Uh, well, wow. n- not I'm not hoping that, but for his sake, right. uh, <laughs> some good reviews start coming out because, I don't know, man. It just – critics are
0: kind of shitting on that movie right now. They really are. Yeah. That's and man, that's such a that's such a cool concept for for a bet and everything. So that's that's really clever. I like it. Um, yeah, I, I, I I'm i really
1: proud of it because it was kind of my pet project. It was something that I was kind of brainstorming for a while. And if you want to check out the, the scorecard, like Matt said, our website, the nerdspodcast.com dot com. You can click on the Rotten Tomatoes uh, draft tab on our
0: on our website and check out the progress throughout the year. Sweet, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So, oh, I also want to ask you if you have plans for. Uh, first of all, I, I wanted to say congratulations on your impending uh, 100th episode. That's going to be coming out in like what's it? A couple be? of months, I think. Yeah, it's a couple of months. Um, uh, you still yeah. got a little bit of ways to go, but you're you're getting up there. You just had your 86th episode. Yep. Um. Yeah. So that's getting that's getting close. Do you guys have plans for a 100th episode celebration? um not so much like um uh, i i don't think we're going to
1: do like a whole episode just because as much as i i i'd like to think that we have pretty diehard fans and pretty diehard listeners which i think we do as an as a podcast it's it's we like to bring a lot of good information and uh but it's also about entertainment and right. and for us to to kind of self indulge and have a whole episode of just about us i just don't think that's entertaining uh we'll probably end up having like a, a segment where we we just kind of talk about uh the podcast and how we've evolved over over a 100 episodes maybe resurrect a nerd origins which is an old segment we used to do um just kind of talk use that as a kind of a platform to talk about just us as a podcast and how we've changed we we started off bi-weekly and now we're weekly and how that kind of changed and just just The fun stuff that we've gotten to do through the podcast, I wouldn't do stand-up, I don't think, if it wasn't for the podcast because that was something that – podcasting was something that I – always wanted to do but then was kind of afraid to do and then once I started doing it and realized that I was not only good at it but really loved doing it I kind of thought to myself what else could there be that I've always wanted to do that I was too afraid to do and stand-up was like the first thing that I thought of and so I don't think I would have had the balls to do stand-up if it wasn't for the podcast which I I'd like to give you a shout out um I wouldn't have done the podcast if it if I hadn't been a guest on your podcast so I will always uh have a special place in my heart for the obsessive viewer because if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't have done the nerd you're looking for. So I, I definitely appreciate that.
0: Sweet. Yeah. Thank you. I'm I'm uh, waiting on my royalty check, but – Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, you're basically our executive producer because anytime I ever have a problem with the podcast or editing or posting or any kind of ideas, uh, you're always the first person I go, well – the second person i go to tyler first of course but <laughs> sure, uh, right. you're definitely our like our pseudo executive producer
0: nice well right on and it's not like you've had any problems uh with anything recently like in a, in a long time either so i mean cuz you guys have really kind of come into your own and it's like I, I look on with pride as as you. guys oh, yeah, for Hundredth episode, for sure. Um,
1: <laughs> I did ask you a question about our website. I do every once oh, in yeah. a while. You do have some good ideas, right. and, <laughs> and I like to steal those ideas when it benefits me. Right.
0: Speaking of stealing ideas, wait until the obsessive Year does our Rotten Tomatoes draft. Uh, oh, you. <laughs> said... <laughs> no, man. I mean, feel free. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm very interested in. Uh, it's very interesting i'm I'm excited to see how it shakes out for you guys on that on that front for sure um so yeah, so why don't we go ahead and get into our review of Daredevil? This is a bonus episode of the podcast. We're still gonna have a potpourri section uh like like we normally do, but the entire episode is gonna be devoted to Daredevil season two, which was just released on Netflix on the seventeenth 24- 18th 18th I don't remember it was the 18th yeah it was a Friday yeah there you go um yeah and and like you like you and Tyler I uh I watched it in about a weekend I watched it um pretty much uh the uh, the first chance I got on Friday I started watching it and then I had some plans over the weekend so I kind of just basically squeezed it in as much as I could throughout the uh entire weekend and then like I got to Sunday, I got to the second to last episode and watched it and I was really excited to finish the season. But then I realized it's, it's, it's midnight. I need to go to bed. So yeah. I had to sit around and wait all day Monday and then come home and watch the finale. So yeah, so, and that's something that I don't usually get to do that often. Like I, I've been trying to make a more concentrated effort on, uh, toward watching more, things and like like binge watching more shows and everything but uh it's kind of it's kind of difficult when you're a busy podcast pioneer such as myself um (laughs) it's ridiculous you have an empire to run i do yes um (laughs) but yeah uh so i wanted to start out with just talking about our broad uh our general idea of of uh, our general thoughts on on the season as a whole and where it stands um in the burgeoning pantheon of Netflix, Marvel television shows, um, meaning where, where it ranks um, between Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one. So what's your, what are you, what's your general uh, review of the pot of uh, the season two of Daredevil?
1: Well, I think that it's, it was unique in the sense that as far as being different from uh season one, season one had to do a lot of the heavy lifting And by that, I mean, like, it had to introduce the characters, and it had to kind of introduce the tone of the show. Season two didn't really have to do a whole lot of that. I mean, obviously, there was some new characters that they had to introduce. We'll talk about the Punisher here in a little bit. And, of course, Elektra. But a lot of that built from the first season. And it feels like there wasn't very much to complain about with the first season. It was a really fantastic season of television. Mm Mm-hmm. But it feels like there was a few things that I know Tyler and I kind of nitpicked a little bit when we reviewed it last year. And I know that other nerdy people that I've talked to have kind of seen the same things wrong with it. Again, they're definitely nitpicky. But it seems like they almost heard it and decided to work on it with season two. I mean, for example, season one. It's kind of a slow burn. It takes a little bit to get going, which is not bad because it makes the the payoff so much better, but in season 2, it just kind of hits on all cylinders right away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Season 1, you don't really see Daredevil in the suit until the last uh the last episode and then i i feel like in season two you see him more in the suit than you do as matt Murdock so it's it's almost like they they found all the little nitpicks everybody had about the show and they tried to fix them in in the second season so i definitely appreciated that season one you didn't really see the the main story the main bad guy the big bad is wilson fisk of course which is a huge character kingpin is a huge character in the daredevil universe so i appreciated that he was the villain in the first season but you don't really see him until the last half of the the season again you see punisher in the first episode Mm -hmm. so i just i feel like they they kind of changed the dynamic of the show which i really appreciate it's it's Kind of a brave thing to do considering everybody loved the first season. It's definitely a risk that they took, and I think ultimately it paid off. As far as your question about how it kind of ranks so far in the Netflix series, I would say that season one is definitely the best. I would put that as number one. Uh, season two is a close second, and then Jessica Jones is is down there a little bit further. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's still in third but it's a distant third for me. Um, that show just didn't pay off. The last, I would say, quarter of that of that show of that season uh, was kind of boring for me and didn't really pay off. So um, I was a little bit disappointed with that show.
0: Nice, yeah. I I wasn't too disappointed with Jessica Jones, but I I will say uh, going into my general thoughts on Daredevil season two that. Uh, just going back to Hell's Kitchen and going back to uh Matt Murdoch's story and Daredevil story and everything, it really showcased how um how much I missed the uh choreography and the and the violence and the the fight scenes and the way that they're shot in Daredevil versus how they're how they're displayed in uh, Jessica Jones because that's one of the things in Jessica Jones I, I was a little uh, disappointed by it was the depiction of the action and, and the showcase of her powers was kind of. It it kind of seemed like they were kind of shooting around it, um, kind of just seeing like the aftermath of something, of her of her jumping instead of like, you know, spending money on on special effects for it. So that was kind of a a refreshing, a refreshing way back into the world of of Hell's Kitchen and, and this Netflix. Uh, I guess sub universe that they're starting. I mean, I'm, it's connected to the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's going to connect further, I'm sure. But I like that this is a little side, a little, a little side of that universe, and it's fairly, still fairly uh, self-contained. Um, as for Daredevil season two, I, I loved it. I, I thought that. Uh, and we'll talk more in depth as we go on, but I thought that the, the whole uh, adding the Punisher was fantastic and uh what John Bernthal brought to that uh performance was just out of out of this world for me. I absolutely loved it. Um and the stuff later in the season with Elektra and um the, the, the main villain group of the season and series pretty much. Um it was good. It was it was really good, but I felt like I I kind of kept wanting to go back to the Punisher um as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah. So that was kind of you know, that was kind of a a mixed bag there, but I did appreciate how they really opened up the world and opened up um the mythology established in season one. Like it was kind of, there was a lot that was teased in season one. That's really expanded upon in daredevil season two. And I I really appreciated that in terms of world building and, and uh, world expanding really. Um, yeah, in terms of ranking it, I would probably, probably say that it's a, it's a tough call. I would say season two and season one are about even, um, I would probably give the edge to season two though. I'd, I'd rank it. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Just because I loved, I loved John Bernthal in it. Like I thought that he brought something so incredible to the role into the series. Um. So I'd, I'd rank it very closely season two, season one. And then uh, Jessica Jones, not quite as far down as, as you put it <laughs> Uh. down, like farther down after that, but yeah, um, a respectable third place. And, I'm curious how uh, Luke Cage is going to mix in and factor in with, with the rankings for that because I'm really looking forward to that show.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh-huh.
0: So, do you just want to kind of get into the season and kind of talk about more
1: in depth in, in the arcs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't we go ahead and start with The Punisher and uh, sure. and John Brenthal because it kind of the entire, like the kind of uh, The Punisher arc kind of plays out throughout the first four episodes and then it takes an interesting turn. Uh, throughout the rest of the season for for Bernthal, um and his performance so how did you feel as a comic book fan and everything about the the initial Punisher arc where he's going on his rampage and doing his thing it's fantastic as a comic book fan there
1: there was a, there's always an interesting kind of blurry line between Daredevil and and Punisher and he kind of he the Punisher kind of lays it out he's he says something similar, or it may actually be the exact same thing that Stick told Matt Murdock in the first season is the fact that he's a half measure, that he's one bad day away from being the Punisher. And so I always think that's an interesting, interesting, uh, dynamic between the two characters because they're, they're basically out for the same thing. The Punisher just takes it one step further. And there's actually a really, uh, great, uh, comic book arc story that, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Garth Ennis did called The Choice as basically the first four episodes is basically that uh, it's somewhat of an a- adaptation of that comic book. So I really appreciated seeing that on the on the screen and nice. kind of the adaptation of, of a really great uh, Punisher
0: Daredevil story. And it, it pays off really well. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. I haven't, obviously I haven't read any of the Daredevil comics or anything like that. So I don't really know much about, uh, the Punisher. Although I have this weird thing where both season one and season two now, um, I have this weird, um, uh, compulsion to, to want to go back and watch like the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. And, uh, and now I want to see the Tom Jane Punisher movie and, uh Punisher Warzone the uh straight to DVD one and kind of see how the characters not nec- not necessarily because I'm I'm wanting to uh, wanting to spend more time in in these characters worlds or that I'm that I'm fooling myself into thinking that they're going to be of the quality of the of the Netflix shows because there's no way that they're going to be but uh, more out of a a curiosity than anything to see how how these characters have been adapted um previously because I've never seen uh Daredevil, Electra, or the Punisher. Um I'm kinda curious to go back and see that. As for the Punisher in uh uh season two of Daredevil, I really loved the not cat and mouse game, but the the adversarial relationship between the Punisher and, and Daredevil in those early episodes. You kind of get the sense that like he could have almost been the season's own like big bad uh, throughout the throughout the entire season, and that could have been that could have carried through the entire season, and not even deal with really anything else. Um, there's a scene, there's a scene with John Bernthal and uh, and and uh, 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 Charlie Cox, Daredevil and the Punisher, um, kind of at the end of at the end of that first segment of the season and that first arc for the season, where they're talking, and I won't say anything specifically about the content of what they're talking about but yeah. it's kind of at the end of at the end of a certain arc for the for the for the for the characters there and just the emotion that john bernthal brings to that to that scene alone is like like i wish that the i wish that awards that uh, that the that uh the various award shows and everything would um would recognize something like that I get I get the sense like the Emmys and even the Golden Globes wouldn't really recognize um a comic book show for outstanding acting but John Bernthal was just freaking phenomenal in that scene and in a few several scenes later in the season as well um and I just really loved that and I like in that moment all I thought was they they have to make a punisher show like they have to spin this oh, yeah, sure. off yeah it's it's a no brainer and it's it was so it was so cool i i just i loved it i absolutely loved it and uh the punisher goes to some places in the later part of the season which uh we won't really get into now um that i it just it held my attention throughout the entire the entire run. And if you kind of break down the season and and the show as a whole, you have different, different, uh, plot lines running simultaneously and it, in anything else in any other show, this could have been a very cluttered season. Um, and a lot of like forced exposition and, uh, it could have just been a, a real mess, but I mean, it speaks to the, uh, the quality of the people running the netflix shows for marvel that it's that they did a fantastic job juggling so much uh information and so much plot and so many uh so many arcs into one uh season of tv and i just that's it was fantastic i think a lot of that has to go back to the great job
1: they did in season 1 though because mm-hmm. I think there's there's a particular... And I don't know how much you want to spoil or 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 what. But it, there was a particular arc with Stick. Stick comes back right. in, the, in the second season. And they did such a great job of kind of getting him in season one and then getting him out quickly. So you yeah. know automatically in season two who he is and what he stands for. And kind mm-hmm. of um, just, I mean, his position on everything. So I think a lot of the heavy lifting was done in the first season. And so the second season could do all of these like miniature arcs and kind of weave them so well together
0: uh, because of some of the stuff that they did in season one. I agree completely. And I kind of wonder if, well, uh, so when, when it was all announced and everything, this whole Netflix Marvel uh, uh, building toward the defenders thing was announced. They basically said that, um, uh, that that it would be Daredevil, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and uh, uh, Luke Cage, and then it would all lead to the Defenders. They didn't say anything about multiple seasons or anything like that, and yeah, I get the sense that maybe the season two of Daredevil, like they greenlit it with the intention of uh, without without really considering it. I I mean I don't know if it was all part of the plan or not, but it shows like spectacular planning that they could uh that they could really keep that uh like the, that they're not really adhering to a strict um a strict like one one season one season one season one season and then defenders like formula it's yeah. it's very clear like each each show is gonna have its own distinct story and everything and it's all of course it's all gonna build toward the defenders, but it's gonna be uh I don't know. It's going to be an interesting ride if they're they're incorporating multiple seasons for multiple shows. I think Jessica Jones was already renewed for season two as well. Yeah. Um, So it'll be interesting. It it seems like it's it's going to build more naturally than just trying to force, okay,
1: we have one season of each or two seasons of each, and now we have to have Defenders, and then we're going to have two more seasons of everything. Then we're going to have Defenders season two. It seems like they're more
0: content on just building it naturally. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's... I wonder how much of that is them kind of, I guess, learning from um, the movies Uh, because, you know, you had like Iron Man 2 that was kind of a, I mean, there were a lot of problems with Iron Man 2, but a lot of it was uh, due to them kind of forcing the Avengers stuff into it. And it kind of seemed like they were, I mean, that's kind of right when they first started all of this and they were kind of still trying to find their bearings and everything. Uh, But with here with uh, on Netflix, it just seems like they're, doing such a great job of building this segment of the universe and uh like you don't really get the sense that it's building toward anything it's just building toward uh expanding on the characters and stories in each show and i just i love it I, i love it so yeah so so the punisher was great and uh so there's another big arc and this is hard to talk about without really spoiling it but let's just I don't know. We can we can have a dedicated like spoiler section um after we get through each arc and everything if that's if that's something that you're interested in. Um yeah, for sure, man. So, we've got kind of kind of a uh, later in the season there's a big um introduction to Electra uh played by Elodie Young and also uh the Hand are they're kind of like the big the big bad of the season basically and it's established and like you said they brought back a stick and and you know exactly where he's coming from and what he's doing it and uh but it was just teased in the first season and now it's expanded upon in this season so what did you think of how they handled the hand and electra and then uh before before we actually get your thoughts did you see my uh my post that i made about it I was uh no. I was crazy proud of it. Uh the it was uh it was just a simple, Oh yeah. yeah. No, the the <laughs> stupid pun. <laughs> yeah. Uh for the listeners, it was uh season 2 of Daredevil is so good that if it was the only Marvel uh Studios project, they would still make money hand over Fisk. And uh yeah. I'll I'll give you guys a minute to to completely uh to regain control of yourselves from laughing so hard um but yeah i was i was really proud of that uh yeah you really shouldn't be (laughs) (laughs) uh but yeah so so what did you think of the hand and electra in this season of daredevil i really enjoyed electra mm-hmm just
1: judging by the trailer, which I know is is kind of tough, it, I was afraid that she was going to be kind of shoehorned because she's kind of shoehorned in the trailer. Right. But I think she was very well developed in this season, and I, I love her dynamic uh, with Daredevil, which kind of goes back to the comic. They have a really kind of almost like Catwoman and Batman type of dynamic in uh, that particular comic book. So I, I like I liked their dynamic between the two of them. The hand on the other hand, sorry, uh, (laughs) I realized as soon as I started talking that it was going to come out that way. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) I liked that they finally gave us, because they kind of teased it in the first season uh, with Stick and some of it. He was being very ambiguous and uh, just very mysterious. And so I liked that they finally showed us some of it, Mm -hmm. but that storyline was why I didn't I liked season 1 more than season 2. Like I don't want to spoil too much. Daredevil has a kind of a supernatural kind of paranormal element to him. Mhm. Even though which is kind of weird because he he is kind of a, a grounded as much as you're going to a comic book hero can be grounded, he's fairly grounded. Uh but he does have that uh, m- uh mystical kind of quality to him or at least his the characters and the villains around him do. And so I thought that that was a little too much for me. Didn't really pay off the way I wanted it to. Plus the black sky stuff Mm -hmm. didn't really work for me. So even though I did like Electra and I loved, I loved watching them kick some ass together. Mm -hmm. That was fantastic. You talked about the, the the fighting earlier and that that yeah. was kind of disappointing and Jessica Jones it was fantastic in the, in this season and just them watching watching those two fight each other with, or f- fight with each other and fight each other uh, which mm-hmm. is great I loved how you saw more action in this season than you did last season uh, yeah. and I don't know if that's a budgetary thing maybe they weren't sure how the first season was gonna go
0: mm-hmm.
1: but if you if you notice I, I watched the first season leading up to the release of the second season. And I just didn't catch it the first time, but some of the action there, there's quite a lot of action that happens off screen and that doesn't happen in the second season. There's a ton of action in in the second season. So I appreciate that. That was kind of the, the one, well, I mean, there's a couple of plot points and I don't want to get too particular just because obviously I don't want to spoil anything, but there was, Two things that the hand being one of them and uh, another character kind of being quickly introduced and dispatched. It it didn't really work for me. Uh, so that's why I prefer season one over season two. But overall, I, I loved Electra. I thought she was she was great. I thought at first, again, judging from the, the trailer, I thought she was going to be kind of shoehorned in. Uh, but I thought she was really well developed and I loved her dynamic between her and Daredevil.
0: Nice, yeah. I uh, we'll talk more about the hand and, and black sky and all that stuff um, in a spoiler section for sure. Um, but for now, yeah, I uh, I can see how the stuff with the hand kind of got a little uh, out of hand um, for you. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't even really fit. But anyway, um, how it got kind of uh, tedious, I guess uh, for you. I I was kind of with it all the way, and like I said, we'll talk more in spoilers about it, but. Um, This is a good segue to talk about some of the big action set pieces. Um, There were some like there was one there was one scene in uh, the third or fourth episode where um, it's it's what Charlie Cox referred to as the hallway scene in season one on crack. Um,
1: Yeah, it's kind of like it was the episode two. It was uh, when he fights uh, the dogs of hell. Yes. Yes. Was that episode? And it's kind of. I am almost positive it was episode 2. Okay. Oh, maybe yeah. it was maybe it was episode 3.
0: I think it was episode now that 3. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's one of the episodes and uh it was yeah, what did what did you think of that? Cuz the circumstances surrounding it were really unique and and it definitely there were so so many pieces of it were seemed like they were just really doing everything they could to really up the ante from uh that first season scene that was so well done uh so what do you think of that overall i think it that particular
1: scene was amazing i do think that they were trying to top it and for me they did but they did it in a a different way Mm -hmm. because um Yeah, there was some hallway stuff, but there was also stuff on the roof. Like there, and he had the chain and he also had the gun. So there was, there was different elements to this fight versus the, the hallway fight. So I appreciated that. And some of the hallway fight, as beautiful as it was, again, it was off screen. Right. And you got to see everything in this fight. So I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's basically somewhat the same scene, but just kind of on steroids.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there was one, I think, I want to say it was before he gets out of the stairwell, um, it was pretty much all one, one long take, except there was, or I guess it would be two long takes, but there's one like edit in there um, as far as I could detect. And it seemed like that edit in particular was kind of like, it, it was a little jarring. Like, I mean, it's just a simple, a simple like editing Gaff, I guess, but um it kind of it almost took me out of it just a little bit, but just the the action and and the way that uh Charlie Cox and all of those stunt actors handled themselves were amazing I don't know if actually i don't know if Charlie how much Car- Charlie Cox did himself in that, and I don't know how much of it was a stunt double or how they had it set up, but just the choreography of it was just mind blowing and I love that it starts in a hallway and then eventually like you, he goes through. Or he goes into uh, the stairwell, and you realize, like, oh yeah. man, this is this is going to be big. This is going to be even even more. This going to be even more than the last time. So, uh, I really enjoyed that. Um, I will say that there was there were a few other action scenes that um, stood out to me. Um, I can't really talk about that one because of uh, 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 spoilers. But one involving the Punisher was incredible and I will say that um one of the more iconic or one of the more memorable sequences and episodes in general that I that I liked in season one um was the fight with uh Nobu um that it's it's almost like the and you you rewatched the first season um and I didn't so it's fresher in your mind but the the scene the the episode where he's fighting Nobu and it, and it keeps flat or it keeps uh, flashing flashing to it throughout the episode. So you're seeing... Yeah, it starts off with him fighting, and then it
1: kind of cuts every once in a while back to that fight, and then it ends, of course... Can I say wh- how it ends? Like, I mean, are we? Uh, yeah, how sure. much are we spoiling at this point? We're talking about Daredevil season two. You've probably seen season one, uh, yeah. and then it ends with, of course, the the first real confrontation uh, between Daredevil and Wilson Fisk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, that's right. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic.
0: Just one of the most brutal and amazing sequences um, in that season, and I feel like there wasn't really. I feel like there wasn't any or there wasn't much as much of a counterpart in uh season 2 for to that. Not that I want not that I want them to just or not that I view the action in each season of Daredevil as okay, this is the this is the uh hallway scene check and this is that that scene yeah. check. But I kind of feel like there wasn't anything unless unless I'm forgetting something, there wasn't anything that was as uh as uh Stake heavy like it, there there wasn't as anything as uh brutal as that um for daredevil I,
1: I would oh well daredevil yes yeah. I, I would agree with that but there's a there's a scene uh i think in is it episode i think it's episode four mm-hmm. where the punisher is being tortured oh yeah um, that was brutal yeah that was that was brutal but obviously when you put the caveat that it's daredevil oh, then obviously right. that doesn't work but um yeah, I think there was moments that – maybe not as brutal as, as that in, in season one, but mm-hmm. um, I definitely think there was some heavy moments.
0: Yeah. Oh, there, there definitely were, and I don't mean to kind of uh, – it's not like I'm running off the whole season or anything. I just feel like there wasn't anything – like when I saw that that episode of season one, like my jaw was on the floor. I thought that that was the best episode of that season, and the way that it was handled was just really well done. <clears throat> And I just feel like there was something not missing from, from, uh, season two, but there was something that was just, it didn't really meet that level for me, um, for Daredevil. Although there was, there was a scene kind of late in the, uh, season that is somewhat, uh, unique in, in that kind of respect, I guess, um, in his apartment, but, uh, Oh yeah, I I don't know. It's just the that fight in season season one just stands out still as one of the my favorites of the entire series. So so there's a couple other arcs that I kind of want to talk about, uh, particularly Karen and Foggy and and Matt. Their whole the basically the uh, Nelson and Murdoch arc of the of the season. Um, I, well, I guess we can talk about Karen first. Uh, what did you think of her evolution? Throughout the season, there's some interesting places that she goes. There's, there's an interesting um, connection, not connection, but there's an interesting, uh, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but um, not parallels, but um, connection, I guess, between her and the Punisher that I didn't really see coming. I thought that was really interesting um, to establish uh, in in the episode, and it carried through pretty well. Um, so what do you think of Karen's arc throughout the season? I, I thought it was interesting. It was similar to
1: how she felt about the devil of Hell's Kitchen before mm-hmm. – uh, be, I mean uh, earlier in the in season one because uh, obviously he saves her life and then everybody thinks that he's a criminal and she kind of defends him mm-hmm. uh, even against Foggy. She defends him in, in season one. So I, I thought it was kind of similar to that relationship. He had saved her and so she kind of defended – even though – It's a little bit harder to defend the Punisher, some of his actions in in this season versus um, the devil of Hell's Kitchen or the man in the mask or however you want to describe him. Uh, Right. The the guy before – I mean obviously it's it's Matt Murdock, but the costume before he he gets a devil costume. Mm -hmm. But I I liked how they didn't tease – Claire and Matt's relationship anymore. They kind of went for it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go where you think it's going to go, obviously, but I kind of liked that. Uh, it it at, at a certain point, as a, as a, as a writer, uh, you can only tease it for so long. Oh, absolutely. And so I, I liked how they kind of got right to it. They did what they wanted to, and I thought that they got away from it perfectly, like kind of seamlessly, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, I mean I, I really liked her arc. I think she, she cares a lot of the emotional weight of the series, and I, I really I, – I think she does a fantastic job. I, I can't think of the actress's name off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, she does a fantastic job
0: yeah absolutely it 's uh deborah ann wool and she 's she 's fantastic and and you 're right she does play kind of the emotional crux of the series or the emotional um conduit basically of the series and she definitely has kind of a thing for bad boys <laughs> oh yeah for sure <laughs> um, but no it it i I really liked her evolution as a character and there's there 's kind of a development Uh, for her it's it's pretty minor but i won't spoil it but it kind of ties back to an element of season one that i really enjoyed um in terms of something that she does or or people that she works with uh later in the season that i i thought that was a really nice way to um kind of circle back and and uh, not really pay tribute but kind of remind you of of a certain dynamic in season one um i thought that was a really interesting place and i i don't know anything from uh I don't have any context from the comics, so I don't know if that's something that she does in the comics or that she's known for, but I thought that it was a it was a good fit for her um as kind of the season progressed to move on to something else and and do something um that made sense in the world that they had established in season one um and I do like her as kind of the moral center um especially and i I think that that kind of was really brought out really well, especially since the season uh had a lot to do with um Daredevil versus Punisher like both of their um their methodologies in in terms of vigilanteism and and how they handle certain things and and their stance on like death and everything i th- I thought that it was a really interesting um use of karen's character as the as the moral center to kind of show how she responds to. Each character in, in her own way. And there's a freaking phenomenal scene between her and Matt where they're talking in his apartment and she kind of, they get into an argument over, uh, the Punisher and, and what he does and what he stands for. And it's, it's so, it's so captivating because they're at a point where they're, um, they're at a certain point in their, and their relationship, I guess you would say, where you can kind of feel the weight of what, like, the argument means. And it's, it's a thing that it, it stood out to me because it was a very, it was a really strong, um, dramatic moment between two characters that almost seemed like the whole comic book nature of it and the, uh, the violence and the action and everything that's kind of the main staple of the series. Uh, that's kind of just, you know, not it, it was inconsequential to that conversation it was it was more uh using that context to kind of explore this this drama between these two characters that you don't really expect from this type of show or at least a a Marvel comic property basically um or, or as we know it basically and that's one of the avenues that i really enjoy uh Marvel Studios exploring with Netflix is they're able to tell more mature stories um without having to blow up every 20 seconds um yeah uh yeah i just i i really liked her arc throughout the season for sure
1: i mean she's she's great like i said the the actress that plays her is fantastic and she kind of mm-hmm. carries a lot of the emotional weight not that this season really needed much of it because it's <laughs> right. it's everybody's great in it mm-hmm. but uh she definitely carries her own weight and Um, I'm hoping that they, they keep teasing something about her character in the past. They tease it in season one and they tease it kind of in season two. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of waiting for that to come, uh, to the forefront. And I'm definitely excited to
0: see how they're going to take that. Nice. Yeah. I kind of forgot about like, it's, it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. um, Yeah, for sure. In season two. And the emotion that she displays in that scene is just freaking amazing. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, uh so, yeah, and then I guess that kind of just leaves foggy and matt um in their attorney roles basically in the season there's a really good court uh court sequence um throughout a few there's a court courtroom arc throughout a a few episodes that I won't really get into what it is or or what it's about, but um yeah it's it's a really refreshing way to show the uh the a new rift between foggy and Matt. That's, that's how much I'll say about it. And I thought that was a really clever and unique way to handle it. And I loved seeing foggy kind of step up to it. I, I really like, uh, Eldon Henson, the guy who plays foggy. Um, and I love that he had a lot more, uh, drama to work with this season without having to be the classic, like, Oh, my, my best friend's a superhero and I'm pissed at him and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, not that that was a a problem in season one, but I just – I like that they didn't kind of revert back to that uh, too much in this season. What did you think of Foggy's uh, th- role throughout the season? I think I, – I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I,
1: I like how <laughs> it builds from season one. He's – at the beginning of season one, he's kind of the comic relief type of character mm-hmm. and uh, the more he has to deal with uh, like protecting Karen and – uh that he takes that kind of that that role he kind of he becomes much more he he becomes less of a comic relief and much more of a of a central character and i think he just expands on that i love the the whole argument episode in season Mm -hmm. one between him and matt when he first finds out and then it just kind of builds on that their relationship changes so much in this season he comes it starts from he knows That he's Daredevil, and he's kind of not necessarily accepted it, but certainly more than he was in in the first season, and he kind of learned to live with the fact, and then, of course, him being Daredevil kind of gets in the way of of their lives, and um, that courtroom scene, like you mentioned, is, is fantastic. Foggy kind of just steps up to the plate and and takes care of his business, and Matt kind of drops the ball. And I just appreciate that he kind of got to be center stage, and you got to Mm -hmm. see them – even though Matt kind of falls on his face a little bit, I liked that – you got to see them be lawyers because you don't really get to see a whole lot of that in the first season. You you see them kind of prepping and and whatnot, but you don't see yeah. them actually in the courtroom in in the first season. So I like to I like that we got to see them as lawyers, and Foggy obviously did a fantastic job.
0: I agree, and that's that's true. You don't really get to see a lot of them in the courtroom in the first season. If I'm not mistaken, there's like one scene early in the season that kind of – I mean it was great. It was fantastic. It was it was Matt um doing a uh uh, uh he was um in uh, wow. Uh questioning someone on the witness stand basically. Um why can't yeah. I can't think of the word for that. Um, <laughs> 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 um Anyway, he was he was talking to someone on the witness stand. It's more to uh it was more of a way to um establish his powers and and show that yeah. he can sense when someone's lying f- from their heart rate and all that um and then in season 1 they didn't really seem to do much of it and then granted in season 2 they didn't really do much with that but it was more of a foggy show than anything um in the courtroom but i i just thought it was fantastic um and we can talk more at length about it in spoilers um is, is there anything else we really need to discuss in non-spoilers um punish or uh, daredevil and Electra. we talked about Electra uh, a little bit but um now nah, we can save that for spoilers um yeah yeah let's go ahead and just uh go ahead and go into spoilers i guess uh for those listening we're about to go into spoilers for daredevil season two and uh if you haven't watched it yet go ahead and check the show notes for the timestamp to skip to potpourri um and if uh if you have just keep listening Spoilers okay. on. Uh what what do you what do you got?
1: Okay, so uh one thing that I wanted to bring up that I couldn't really touch on before is the blacksmith stuff. Mm-hmm. That was a hit yeah. was a swing and miss for me. But- I did not really like <laughs> that. I think that it was built up, it was very mysterious, and for me mm-hmm. I kind of assumed that who it was. Like, I mean yeah. It, it just it had to be somebody that we had met before. And so there mm-hmm. was only so many characters that we had met that weren't already established. So I was like, OK, well, it's got to be this guy. And then it was that guy. And then he was just quickly dispatched. And it was just it was very disappointing.
0: See, and that's that's where you and I kind of differ on this. And it's it's kind of unique because I was just kind of just assuming that it was going to be that the blacksmith was a character from the comics and that it would be revealed later i kind of my ignorance of comics kind of uh led me to think that led me not to look at too many characters too closely to see who it could possibly be because i figured okay well it's going to be a big reveal or something but it's going to be someone uh that that's from the comics so it's not like we like i had no reason to suspect that clancy brown was the was the uh uh, the 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 blacksmith, uh, Clancy Brown being the the actor that played the yeah uh, the guy uh, who I really enjoy. I love his performance, and I I like seeing him and t- whenever I see him. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, there was nothing uh, bad about his performance. It's just right. the the
1: the arc of it. It just it didn't it it didn't hit for me. Like they made it some mysterious person, and then he was just they almost built him as a wilson
0: wilson fisk type character and it just didn't pay off like that right and it, it didn't really seem to fit with the kind of story of, about it uh, or the or the story that they were perpetuating throughout the season and he was this big time drug dealer or drug person and in, in this mastermind of, of this who got everything set in motion for the punisher basically or, or or he was a big get for for the undercover sting operation i mean but um and so it seemed kind of sudden and jarring it was effective on effective uh on me um as a viewer that wasn't too familiar with the comics or anything like that, so I kind of assumed that it would be uh someone of substance in the comics, so I wasn't really looking in his direction but um yeah i didn't I didn't necessarily have a problem with it um I liked it for the growth of of uh the Punisher and uh, his character and everything. But um, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. <clears throat> um, and then the, there was
1: the hand, the stuff yep. with the hand with the kids. That yeah. was just really weird. It was just <laughs> – it wasn't necessarily bad. It just didn't fit with Daredevil. Even though there is a supernatural and paranormal mm-hmm. aspect to the character, I just felt like it was just a little too far for me. It was just – it didn't feel right with the – the first season it just it didn't mix well with me and the whole black sky stuff just uh it didn't pay
0: off for me yeah the the stuff with the kids i didn't mind um i kind of wish it would have been a little bit a little bit more explored and like it was another thing that was a little bit of a a quick a quick twist like when when the father sees sees the son and then the next scene he's dead i i thought that that was kind of just a little not really set up that properly. Like it got kind of a little bit of a gasp out of me, but it was more like a, Oh, Oh, okay. Well that makes sense. Um, I did really like the, uh, seek the, the scene, um, in the hospital, um, with daredevil and where, where he's fighting all them and everything. I thought that that was really cool. And I liked it that the, I liked how the hand was basically established as a, uh, very formidable group. Um, Of villains for Daredevil, and I liked how that played out. Um, However, I was a little—I touched on this a little bit in our in our main review—but I was a little let down with uh, Nobu. Um, He was kind of resurrected, and and uh, the—I mean, I liked that they brought him back. Um, I don't feel like they did much of anything substantial with him in terms of uh, again like that uh that scene or that whole episode in the, in the first season was just such a such a magnificent uh display for for both of those uh characters and i i feel like it wasn't really matched in the season i mean there's some good fight sequences and like the fighting in the, in the show is freaking amazing and shot beautifully and and uh, choreographed really well but i feel like there wasn't anything as like just gruesome between them two, between those two. Like there wasn't anything as, as, as damaging, I guess. Um, yeah, I did like how it ended, um, (laughs) with him. Oh yeah, for sure. That was cool. That was, that was just, that was just really badass. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I didn't mind the black sky thing either, but it was more of the, one of those, uh, I was shocked at the beginning and then kind of the more I thought about it, I thought, well, that's... That's kind of, I don't know. That's kind of weird. I don't know. I I felt like I wasn't anticipating them going to that level to have Electra be the fabled black sky for the hand. And uh, there's that scene where she seems almost seduced by the idea of it. um, Oh yeah, for sure. When she finds out. I thought that was just kind of, that didn't really seem to fit for me. Um, But the way it leaves off has me intrigued how it's gonna how that character is going to develop further um but yeah in, in the moment i was just kind of kind of mixed on it uh. so the 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 big
1: the big uh reveal i think that most people talk about uh when they discuss the season is the whole wilson fist coming back yes that was actually genuinely i was surprised by that mm-hmm. i had no idea like it makes sense like it was perfect the way they brought him in and and not necessarily closed the loop but it it just kind of it brought the first like it it made the first season matter a little bit more not right. that it didn't matter before but it, it just kind of p- brought those two seasons together a little bit more and i just it was such a brilliant way to do it i didn't see it
0: coming and it was it was it was great i loved it I absolutely agree. I thought that was such a great, um, such a great surprise. Um, and have him, his dealings with the punisher in prison were just, were just so uh, like, it was, uh, kind of just captivating really the, the way that it was all handled. And I loved, I don't know. I just, I just love the way it was, uh, the way it was portrayed. And that scene with, uh, the punisher in prison after he kills the, the former kingpin of the prison, um, it's it's like it's like the Punisher's own hallway fight, um, but much more bloody yeah. and gruesome and everything. And I just – I thought that was so, so awesome. That was the moment I mentioned before where I was like, he needs his own show because um, that oh, was yeah, just sure. incredible. Um, yeah, it was just so well done. And like I said, it just kind of
1: brought the two seasons. It, it just blended them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that he wasn't just forgotten.
0: Right and i loved the scene with with fisk and matt murdock i thought that oh, was yeah, for just sure. amazing um and just seeing seeing fisk just just flip out on him was just so so satisfying to me in in a weird way cuz i mean you know obviously he's the uh the daredevil's the hero of the show but just seeing seeing him be so ruthless to matt murdock in that in that scene was just so so amazing to me and i i can't wait to see how that character develops further in, in seasons to come. Um yeah, I just I loved everything about all the all the Fisk stuff this season. Oh yeah, for sure. It was
1: it was so great and it also didn't like overpower the season because they, they used it so little and that, that almost made it a little bit more powerful. Like it, it hit home a lot harder because they didn't use it. They didn't overuse his character in this season.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that goes back to me saying that they had so much stuff going on in this season that it could have been cluttered. It could have been um, distracting uh, and overloaded. But they did such a great job with the writing in this season that it's – I'm I'm just amazed by it really. For sure. Um, anything else we're running a little long? Is there anything else we want to talk about in spoilers? I guess I, we can talk a little bit more about Karen. Really just, I just want to just clarify that I'm really satisfied to see her take a, take the job at the newspaper and kind of, kind of take Ben Yarek's old position basically and, and, uh, run with it that way. Like the second, the moment where, uh, she's brought into his old office, I was like that. It was so, I don't know the, the there was so much emotion in that scene, and I, I thought that was a great way to honor the character from last season because I, I really liked Ben last season, and I, I hated to see him get killed um, for sure. But yeah,
1: I will say, and I know that it's uh, splitting hairs and it's kind of an, <laughs> a, definitely a nitpick, but I don't, I don't like how that she, how she's able to just kind of jump jobs. Right. So easily. Like she she worked in this huge construction firm mm-hmm. in the first season and then she's a paralegal and then uh all of a sudden she's she's a journalist now. Like people have degrees for right. that. She doesn't have anything for that.
0: And all of a sudden she just gets to have this guy's office. That that kinda I thought about that for, for a second.
1: Uh I mean and... I, I get what they're doing and they're doing exactly what you just said. Right. But for me being like just kind of just pessimistic and just – I nitpick a lot. It just – it really bugged me because I know I have a teaching degree and I can't even get a teaching job. So it's like she doesn't have any uh, education or any training whatsoever and she just keeps jumping from job to job. So
0: Right. Yeah. I, I can imagine there's probably a bunch of uh, uh, journalists at the paper that are just super pissed off at her. Yeah. They're still in the bullpen and she gets office right (laughs) uh yeah so that notwithstanding i I enjoyed that uh part of her arc um oh yeah for sure yeah um so i guess we can kind of wind down this review by just talking about the season finale itself or or where everything kind of ends up um particularly i kind of want to talk about foggy um kind of seems like they're kind of going to make the connection between uh, daredevil and jessica jones uh next season or next season of Jessica jones maybe foggy's gonna pop up i don't know if he it was meant that he took the job uh there or not but uh i thought that was an interesting kind of uh uh surprise cameo it's 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 such a such a cool way again how they handle the the uh the universe in this in this little uh what they're doing on netflix because it's so it's just so cool to see them do do it so uh Kind of effortlessly. It's not like a big like yeah. like oh hey there's like in um like in Agents of Shield there was a scene where uh, Samuel L. Jackson popped up in it, which I mean that's a big I mean that's a big deal because it's Samuel L. Jackson on network TV. That's crazy. Yeah, but it's also designed to get to get viewers in and what Netflix does and the Netflix model uh, affords them to is that they don't need to do these big gimmicky things. So having it tied together with Jessica Jones in that way, was just a really cool, really cool way to uh, pop in on the last episode. So what did you think of where Foggy ended up and um, by extension, everyone else basically?
1: Yeah, I really liked the end of his arc. Um, I don't necessarily believe it. I don't think that Mm -hmm. Nelson and Murdoch – is going to be over right but i it's hard for me to believe that but maybe i it seems like like you said it it's kind of a seamless transition it makes sense to kind of blend these two universes together through foggy i had honestly forgot that trinity was a lawyer in (laughs) jessica jones and i don't know her actual name so i'm just going to keep calling her trinity but uh I forgot that she was a lawyer in Jessica Jones, so it just made sense as soon as I saw the back of her head and she started talking. I was like, that's Trinity, and I knew exactly what was going on, and I was just like, that's perfect. That's just a a little subtle way to blend these two universes together, and I I think you're right. I think they will kind of bring them together through Foggy, which given his arc in this season is such a perfect way to,
0: to blend the two series together. Absolutely, and it makes a hell of a lot more sense for him to go there than it does for Karen to go to the newspaper.
1: <laughs> yeah, it
0: really does. Yeah. Because he has an actual law degree. Right, right. Um. So, yeah, really, any, any closing thoughts on season two, or do, should we pop over to Potpourri? Uh, I mean, I think we pretty much covered it, man. Yeah, same here. Uh, great season. Can't wait to see what comes next Uh, in in the kind of Marvel cinematic Netflix universe, basically. Um, I guess oh, yeah, be, for sure. I guess it would be Marvel Netflix universe, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and quickly, what did you think of the Luke Cage teaser? I liked it. It looks like it's going to be
1: a little bit more looser than Daredevil and Jessica Jones were. It seems like it's going to be not necessarily a comedy by any stretch, but it seems like it's going to have a, a lot more comedic, stuff in it, which makes sense because I'm currently reading Power Man and Iron Fist, and it definitely has that, not necessarily meta comedy to it, but it definitely is self-aware and it doesn't really take itself too seriously. So hopefully if, it's, if that's any indication of what Luke Cage will be and eventually Iron Fist will be, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It seems like it would be tough to constantly see these really dark shows. Like I think people would want, uh, eventually want something that was a little bit uh, lighthearted. Not that I think these, again, these shows are going to be comedies, but um, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a change of pace.
0: Absolutely. I agree completely. Um, And ever since seeing seeing Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, um, literally, Um, and in, in yeah anyway um uh yeah and- seeing, yeah um after seeing him in in that show i would i just i'm really excited to see uh where his character goes um or or how his character is handles his own show um so yeah so that's our daredevil season two review um and we're gonna we're gonna probably do we're gonna do a quick uh potpourri section and then uh yeah, so for first-time listeners to the podcast, uh, Potpourri is a section of the podcast where we talk about pretty much anything we're watching or anything we've watched lately or uh, looking forward to, anything like that. Um, the kind of tagline for it is uh, whatever we want as long as it smells good. And uh, as you are uh, my guest on the podcast and you have two things and I have one thing, uh, do you want to start off, Pat? All right. Yeah, cool, man. I, I The first thing that I want to talk about is
1: another show on Netflix. It is called Love. It, I think it was released on February 19th so it's been out for a little bit now. Um, it's a Judd Apatow Paul Rust Netflix comedy and I think actually uh, when I was making notes for, for this uh, popery section I realized the last time I was on the podcast I talked about Trainwreck oh, which yeah. is a, another Judd Apatow <laughs> project so I'm not like a super fan of him right. I, I am a fan but I'm not like obsessed with him or anything <laughs> so that was just totally coincidence nice. I, I think last time that I I was on the podcast when I talked about Trainwreck. I I mentioned that his movies, even though they are fantastic, Mm -hmm. they are a little too long. Absolutely. And so I like the fact that he got uh, his own show. Mm -hmm. And that basically it's a a five-hour movie that you can binge, uh, just kind of a five-hour movie in 30-minute increments. He actually – he was on a talk show the other day that I was watching, and he said basically it's a five-hour movie with pee breaks is how he (laughs) described it. And uh, Love stars uh, Jillian Jacobs from Community, and it also stars one of the writers and creators, Paul Rust. Mm -hmm. And I liked how – it kind of starts off as a will they won't they kind of romantic comedy sort of sitcommy thing, and you kind of expect more from Judd Apatow, and it definitely delivers because it's not really that, even though it does kind of lead you to believe that it will be. It it touches on much more serious topics, um, most notably, Gillian uh, J- Jacobs. Is character Mickey, who is addicted to pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, she's addicted to drugs, sex, and just. Uh, she's also uh, towards the end of the season, not to spoil anything, but she's kind of addicted to that rush you get when you start dating a new person. Yeah. It's not really sex. It's not really lust. It's just kind of the the butterfly. She's almost addicted to that, and she kind of goes overboard, and it kind of screws their relationship up a little bit. I liked how it was kind of an awkward comedy. It's not your typical romantic comedy sitcom. And it reminded me a lot of Louie, which I love that show. You're more laughing at the characters than you are laughing with the characters. Mm -hmm. And I just love that it was Mickey's story. Like I said, she's kind of addicted uh, to everything. And it was more of her story than it was Gus's, Paul Russ's character. Um, And you don't see that very often, especially in romantic comedies. You don't really see the woman be the the emotional center or the 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 real cent central character so i love that was it crazy about how it ended the the final the scene
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i i feel like they're setting it up for a second season which i mean of course i mean it's a tv show that they they want more than one season but for me I keep thinking back on Master of none and how that ended and how it feels from episode one until the 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 season finale. It feels like a completely like just f- front to 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 end just complete story like they it's just a perfect story. I was actually kind of bummed that they renewed Master of None for a second season just because I thought it ended such so perfectly that they didn't need to continue with that story. I'd almost want that 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 series to be an anthology series because that season was so perfect from start to finish. And I was kind of hoping Love would be the same way, mm-hmm. which I, I know that's kind of unfair because it's a different series. But the way they ended, I was just like, ah, uh, they kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. But the show
0: itself is, is really great. I enjoyed it a lot. I uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. I, I watched the season as well um, back, when it, back when it came out um, or fairly recently. And it was uh, i I felt like the show was uh it was kind of hard to get into um the characters themselves I just found myself kind of hating them uh yeah it's one of
1: those shows that it's it 's almost kind of hard to root for them because they 're not oh, yeah. good
0: people mm-hmm. and it 's hard to root for them to get together too it's it's uh, at the point I, at one point I was just pretty much actively rooting against them uh hooking up or anything like that, but by the end, you kind of get this this really well drawn um uh characterization of both characters in, in my opinion that it just it kind of came together in a way that made me really excited to see where uh they grow as characters uh moving moving uh forward and uh to what you said about uh Master and Un, how much you want it to be uh an anthology show i i would love that that would be yeah like it would be cool if like Love Season One could have been Master of None season two. Um and it could have just been yeah. the same kind of like like an anthology about modern relationships um in your late twenties, early thirties. And yeah, that could for be sure. kind of the main thing of the show. But um but I, I enjoyed love. I thought it was I thought it was it it ended strong for me. Um but it was kind of a rough road to get there. For sure. As for me, for what I have for Potpourri is uh <laughs> Uh, I I went and saw London Has Fallen uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Have you seen it, Uh, or have you seen Olympus Has Fallen? I have seen
1: Olympus Has Fallen, and that's that's good enough for me. I don't need to see anything else (laughs) falling.
0: Yeah, I'm. I was kind of the same way. I I thought Olympus Has Fallen was a little. uh, It was the weaker one of the two White House Down movies, basically, that came out in 2013. Um and London has fallen isn't that much better. Um, it uh, there's there's a couple weird things about it. First of all, it's 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 basically Gerard Butler is is uh, a member of the Se- uh, secret service and he's attached to, to protect the president. Um, uh, the president and all the world leaders gather in London for something, um, <clears throat> for something and, um then there's a massive attack and uh basically it's it's Gerard Butler and uh Aaron Eckhart Eckhart uh running through london uh evading terrorists and stuff and uh there's kind of uh, first of all it, the the action was just just pretty much just okay um i had i had a problem with kind of the way that the the movie was shot um in terms of like the cinematography and and just the placement of the camera, like there are there are incredibly dark shots, like darkly lit shots. Like like it's, I don't remember if it was, uh, released in three D, but it seems like it was. I mean, it was just it was just really dark. Like even scenes in the Oval Office, I was like, like why don't they just put a light on in there? Um, yeah, it isn't like pitch black or anything like that, but it's like it's just very dim and. Uh, it's it's strange cuz there's scenes where characters are talking to one another and for for some reason the camera is just really tight on their faces. It's like it I got the sense that they couldn't uh that some of the some of the scenes were reshoots and they couldn't afford to get the sets back, so they had to resort to really 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 tight um frames of of the characters' faces as they're talking and it was just really distracting. Um and then also, I mean, just the storyline was just – I mean it's – I I went, I went to the movie to see stuff blow up. I saw stuff blow up. I thought it was – I thought the action was serviceable and everything. Uh, the story was pretty much secondary to that. But there was a kind of an underlying kind of super macho, jingoistic, uh, super rah-rah America vibe to it that just kind of bugged me. Um, yeah. Like Gerard Butler – has like this weird this weird thing throughout the movie where it's like his character gets so much joy out of killing the terrorists and uh like there's a scene, <laughs> there's a scene where they're in like a subway or something um and and they take down some terrorists, and then Gerard Butler has one that he's injured, and he's he finds a walkie-talkie, and he talks to the guy on the walkie-talkie, and then uh, I think in that scene he says he says to the injured guy like, "Oh, why don't you go back to Afghanistan?" I'm like, "Do do we really need that? Like, do we really need that kind of uh stupid one-liner?" Um, but you have to remember who's gonna go see those movies. That's true. That's true. It is. It was marketed to a specific demographic, and I'm not really that in that demographic. I just thought it was kind of just silly. Um, but then it was such a weird moment where he has the injured guy on the ground and he talks to the, like one of the uh, like main operatives of the terrorist group. And he says like, it's just, it's just purely out of pure, um, joy for him to do this. But he says like, okay, well here's the sound of your brother dying. And he just sticks a knife into the injured guy and kills him. And I'm like, that's, that's a bit excessive, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, holy shit. Um, but overall I thought that, I don't know, the action was, was, oh, oh, the action was, the action was serviceable, but there's, there's a scene or a sequence at the end of the movie where, um, there's a, there's a very tight, uh, very narrow time frame for people for, for them to do something to save a character. And, uh, I don't know what the hell it was, but like that sequence, it's a sequence where they're like him, like Gerard Butler and a squad of soldiers are in the street at night. Um, and he has to infiltrate a building. And like it was like watching, it was like I was suddenly watching a completely different movie because it was shot so, so incredibly well. It's like a lot of it is one continuous take, um, all handheld cam, uh, or, uh, or all like kind of shaky cam, but not overbearingly so. And it's following him as he's taking out these guys and he's, he's like, eventually he like jumps through a window into a building after uh, a big thing happens. And I was like, where, where is this artistry throughout the rest of the movie? (laughs) Um, Because it was really well done. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't really make up for the rest of the movie. And I thought that it was pretty forgettable overall, except for that one sequence. Um, So yeah, so that's London has fallen. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe check it out when it's on HBO.
1: Yeah, I think I I think I think watched it when – I think I watched Olympus Has Fallen when it was on Netflix or something. So
0: mm-hmm. I'll probably catch this one when – something similar like that. Nice, nice. Um, So yeah, so why don't you round us out? Do you have one more thing for Potpourri?
1: All right, yeah. I was actually flipping the channels last night and I came across a 30 for 30 documentary, mm-hmm. which I used to watch these pretty religiously for uh, a few years And I kind of fell out of touch with them. For me, uh, the sports documentaries are kind of a a really saturated genre. And so these 30 for 30s, they've been doing them for years now. And so they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. Mm -hmm. So I kind of fell out of touch with them. But this particular one called Fantastic Lies, uh, it was about the Duke University lacrosse scandal. Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah.
0: Well, I know about the case and everything. I didn't know about the documentary. Yeah,
1: it wasn't. It's not. It's not a story that I know a whole lot about. I'm a big sports fan, but I'm not. Obviously, I don't think really anybody can say that they're a big lacrosse fan. It's right. such a weird sport. But uh, I guess lacrosse players are uh, <laughs> fans of the sport. But, anyways, it's not a, a sport that I really know a whole lot about. It's not a sport that really gets covered a whole lot on um, like ESPN and, and whatnot. So I had heard of the case obviously and I, I knew something weird happened like a year later uh about the case but I didn't really know a whole lot about it and really this documentary kind of starts off by discussing how the media kind of took the story and ran with it hmm. and kind of basically assumed that these guys were guilty it's it's about for those that don't know about the story I kind of started off like I assumed that everybody knew um <laughs> And these these players had a big party at Duke, uh, the lacrosse players, and they invited strippers and and escorts. And one of the escorts accused three of the players of raping her. Mm-hmm. And so the the story comes out, and the 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 documentary kind of starts off by talking about the event, and then how the media kind of once they found out about it, kind of took the story and ran with it and assumed that they had had done it and basically portrayed them as these rapists and and it kind of spiraled out of control and i'll be honest with you as an outsider looking in i assume they did it as well Mm -hmm. (laughs) i I mean i kind of fell into that trap they're white young privileged guys who go to a a very privileged school and they're frat boys and i i mean you just kind of i kind of have that prejudice against them and um I kind of I assumed that they had done it as well and I didn't really think too much about it because I like I said I wasn't really I didn't have my ear to the ground as far as the story was concerned Mm -hmm. and then the documentary kind of morphs into this like true crime documentary about how almost in the vein of like making a murderer or making murderer uh where it kind of it's a, more of a story about the mishandling of justice, mm-hmm. and really, it's about in making a murderer. It's more about the community and the, the police force and everything. And this particular documentary, "Fantastic Lies," it's pretty much boils down to one guy, the the district attorney at the time in Durham. Was going up for reelection, and he kind of based his whole campaign around the fact that he wasn't going to drop this case. That these guys were young, privileged, rich, and he didn't want to get a, them to get away with it. It was uh, the the escort was African American, and these guys were white, and so that that was the, the race played definitely played a part in it. And it just it's scary how a situation can line up like this. And all these situations kind of line up in a way that it was beneficial for him to convict these guys whether or not they did it. And it turns out they had literally – I mean they're not the nicest guys <laughs> because they're not the, the greatest guys, which is one nitpick I do have about the documentary. They kind of paint these guys in a light that were they're almost like martyrs. Mm-hmm. In a sense, and obviously, there's a a huge difference between hiring strippers at a party, right, and committing rape. There's a huge difference between <laughs> that, but at the same time, you're not a saint either. Mm-hmm. So, I, I definitely don't like how they kind of painted them in in that in that light. But at the same time, it's just really scary, just like making a murderer. But, even in that documentary, you can kind of argue that maybe he he could have done it right this one literally there's no way that they could have done it, and this guy was willing to put them in jail for essentially their entire life to win an election that that was literally it, and they have uh, at the end they always have the the whole, the paragraph telling you what they're doing now and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And the guy gets disbarred and he, I thought it was kind of silly. He spent one night in jail for <laughs> it. I, I thought that was kind of a weird wow. sentence. They <laughs> apparently have like looked cause he's been a an attorney for a long time and they looked back in one of his, one of his past cases, the guy is getting retried mm-hmm. because they think that this guy screwed up. Like he did in this case, and they're kind of looking into all of his cases and it's It's a really screwed up situation, it just kind of scares you to think that one day you could just be walking down the street, and not that this is what happened to these guys, like I said they're not right. angels, but yeah it just it's scary to think that if somebody has an agenda they could they could and they're in a place of power that they
0: that they could really screw you like this guy did oh absolutely that's Man, that sounds really interesting. It was uh it's it's new, right? So it's not on Netflix or anything. No, it's 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 fairly new. I, I'm not quite sure where
1: when it got released, but I I saw it on cable. I saw it on it was on one of the ESPN channels.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I'm gonna have to check that out when I know that they have a lot of the thirty for thirty uh, stuff on uh, Netflix. Hopefully, it'll pop up on there because that sounds like something I'd be really interested in seeing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's not really,
1: obviously, it has the sports aspect to it because it's the la, la, the lacrosse team, but right. it's really more of a, a crime documentary than it is a sports
0: documentary. Interesting, and that's called Fantastic Lies. Yes, uh, cool. Uh, so that about does it for us this week then, or this in this special bonus episode. Uh, thanks again, Pat, for coming on and talking talking with me. Uh, it's always a pleasure and everything. Um why don't you go the pleasure's ahead? all mine, man. Oh yeah. Uh and uh so why don't you tell people uh where where else they can find you and uh your podcasts and all that stuff. For sure.
1: Um like we've mentioned before, you can find our website, the nerds podcast. Um, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on uh, Twitter at the Nerds Podcast, <laughs> uh, follow us on Instagram at the Nerds gotcha. Podcast as well. Like us on Google Plus. Uh, vote for us for Podcast of the Month at Podcastland dot com. Email us at the nerd you're looking for at gmail dot com. Uh, rate review us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, basically any good podcatcher
0: you use. We're on it. Sweet. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Oh yeah, for sure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right. Uh thanks for listening, guys. Oh, also by the way, next week we're going to be doing Batman v Superman and all that stuff. So, forgot to mention. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh but anyway, thanks for listening, guys. I just I I just absolutely loved it. I loved the kind of uh the uh the um I lost my train of thought. Hang on. <coughs> Pizza's walking around my room, and I'm nervous that she's going to hit the, uh, the, the power strip. Anyway, um, where was I?
2: Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site obsessivebooknerd.com for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.